0: Listener production. Yeah! Hey, I'm sports journalist, Sam Squires. Welcome to On Her Game in partnership with Puma for the Fearless podcast series. On Her Game is a space where I get to share the stories of our incredible female sporting stars to try and learn more about the person behind the athlete. I'm excited to partner with Puma to uncover how their female sporting icons reached the top of their fields. The challenges they've faced along the way, the boundaries they've had to push through, the glass ceilings they've had to smash, as well as the hopes, dreams and fearless attitudes that have shaped the women they are today. Together, we'll make sure women are seen, heard and treated as equals, both in sport and in life. In this episode, I speak with Jillaroos and Bronco's captain, Ali Brigginshaw. I've known Ali for some time now, and it's been incredible to watch her become not only one of the most talented players rugby league has seen, but one of its fiercest leaders as well. Rugby league has always been a huge part of Ali's life, and even when she was too little to even spell the word, she's always been a game changer. She grew up playing as the only girl in the boys' teams and rep sides, and had to block out comments and complaints from other kids and even their parents when she took the field. And now she's the Australian Jillaroos captain the Broncos captain, a three-time NRLW champion, a world champion and the Dahlia medalist. The boom of the women's game has been so fast, there's been no time to adjust her focus to the new spotlight, especially when her kiss with girlfriend and now-wife Kate became front-page news in 2018. But Ali has evolved into a leader so many admire. She uses the power of her voice and position to elevate the women's game to the level of equality it deserves. She admits it's been a fight but one she's determined to win to ensure the next generation enjoys a more level playing field. And that rugby league passion, well, it started early, growing up in the footy-mad
1: city of Ipswich in Queensland, but Ali still calls home today. Ipswich is football-obsessed. You walk down the street, everyone's got a pair of footy shorts on, it's talking (laughs) about the local league or talking about the Broncos. Um, Dad used to play, so every weekend... um, He stopped playing before I was born, but um, we'd go to every game that was on, like the local A grades and... It was just footy, 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 go to school, play footy, come home, play footy. And it's still like that in Ipswich. Everywhere I go, every coffee shop I stop at, people yell out in the street, go the Broncos. or (laughs) uh, They're just actually footy mad. So it's always been so supportive and I'm very proud to say that I'm from Ipswich. And I always like to give back to community, definitely where I'm from. So you mentioned your dad. How big was your dad in rugby league? He's... Kind of a big deal. Well, when I go places, (laughs) everyone wants to talk to him. So everywhere we go, he knows someone and they all come up to me into the street and just say, your dad was one hell of a player and dad retired when my brother was, um, when mum was pregnant with my brother. So, um, but people still remember him and I haven't actually watched many of his games, to be honest. It's, really? They're all on VCR, so <laughs> we need to transfer them over to DVD so I can have a look. Who has a VCR player? Please don't tell me Larry does. Larry and Perry. No, <laughs> no, he doesn't.
0: <laughs> um, so obviously, girls weren't playing when you started rugby league. So how
1: is it that you came onto the Ipswich rugby league fields? It was definitely dad, but, you know, uncles played and it was like neighborhood footy. Like (laughs) what girl doesn't remember playing with the boys out the front on the front part of your lawn and just playing rugby league. And that's where I really found the love for it. I played touch football. I played soccer, but as soon as I got to run out there in the front yard with the boys and I found that I was really competitive and wanting to do better and how to stop or how to tackle the boys. Um, And that's probably where the love for it came. And I mean, that was all that was on TV. It still is the only thing that's ever on TV in my house. So, um, <laughs> and the whole of Ipswich, defi- yeah, and the whole of <laughs> it. So that's where it's pretty much come from.
0: Um, so how old were you when you you first started playing? Not just um, out, you know, neighbourhood footy, but you started playing. I guess comp for for juniors.
1: Yeah, so I was ten. I really wanted to play when I was nine, but uh, Dad wouldn't let me because he's precious little girl. Um, <laughs> he didn't want to want me to go over there until I knew how to play. So um and tackle was especially his thing and and I actually am so grateful that he taught me how to tackle because I think that's something I've taken with me in every team I've been in or every time I've taken that field is I've always taken dad's rules and how he taught me. So um yeah, started at ten. He took me over to North Tigers and then I started playing and it was, it was crazy. I used to love it. I just used to, we used to play school on a Friday. So you play afternoon school sport and then I play for club on Saturday. So it was just everything to me to, to play rugby league. I was going to ask you whether you were intimidated being the only girl in the team, but it sounds like you just loved it too much to be intimidated. I'm very competitive. I'm not intimidated. <laughs> I actually said the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And that's all I wanted to do was tackle the boys because I couldn't run. So, yeah, to explain the rules, the dummy half couldn't run unless they're in their 20 metres or they're going to score a try. Mm-hmm. So if I got tackled, it was a handover. Um, right. So my job was to tackle. And Dad used to give me a dollar for every tackle. Is that right? Yeah.
0: As <laughs> that perfect incentive. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I used to see how many I could tackle.
0: That's so good, and that would, um, that's your pocket money for the for the week. Yeah, definitely thirty dollars a week.
1: So, what about your teammates? How did they react when you rocked up? Some of them were, I wouldn't say mates. They were sour and and did leave me out. But then there was a few guys, and I'm still friends with them today. That really just embraced it and thought. You know, we don't care. I played school with a lot of them, and then went over to clubs. So I was pretty lucky that it was, you know, the same guys. But when I played against other teams, um, that's when it really became evident that it was weird, and it it was kind of just the parents, really. Yeah, right. They were the ones that used to comment, or you just always had people looking at you, and and that's probably one thing that I didn't understand at that age, but um, I always say like, I wonder how mum and dad felt yeah, having people just stare at me the whole time. But I just embraced it. I think every time I went out there, I just thought, I don't care what people say. I don't care if they're judging me. I'm going to play and I'm going to play as best as I can.
0: Because at that age, you don't really have
1: an idea that things are possibly unequal. Yeah, it didn't seem weird. Like it just seemed normal. But now that I Now that I think of it, like I was on a bus full of 40 boys and I was the only girl. (laughs) And you had to change. And Change rooms wouldn't have had, you wouldn't have had girl facilities out there at the football fields at all, would have been all just. Yeah, no. So instead of me having the boys having to leave, I had to leave or I had to come dressed, ready to play. I couldn't change my jersey. You were still selected for regional teams though. That
0: shows you that skill that you had. And one time you were selected for a regional team and there was a bit of backlash again from parents. What happened there?
1: Yeah, so there was an Ipswich team and then um, so that was selected from a school carnival. So you'll play this carnival, then you get selected. And so I made that team and then I made the Met West team and that was where Just it was. like a zone regional, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was at the Dolphins Redcliffe which was like like, it was a stadium and we got to play there. And it was just in the um, program I was in brackets. It had Ali Brigginshaw, girl, (laughs) in brackets. And (laughs) at the time, like mum only just found this a couple of years ago and she obviously knew, but I was like, I just cannot get my head around why someone had to write in a program that I was a girl. Yeah, like I would like to have a conversation with that person, yeah. and just their thinking around it.
0: And did someone complain that you were selected as well over their son?
1: Yeah, that was that was quite a regular thing. Um, there was always comments about when I made teams. It was she's only picked because she's a girl, or those <laughs> comments were always thrown around. But I. Was, Particularly had this one lady who videoed me to say her son was better than me and that he should be in the team and I shouldn't pretty much.
0: Now, to give a bit of perspective, this is under what? Under what
1: age? That was under 11s.
0: Under 11s. And a mum is videoing you. What about your dad and your mum, Pam and Larry? How did they react when, you know, the parents are doing stuff like this and you're in under 11s?
1: Yeah, mum's always been she doesn't care what anyone else has to say and if she hears <laughs> someone say like if someone yells out now when I'm playing, you know, hurtful things, mum's always got my back. So, and dad, dad's pretty shy, so he knew that I was playing well and he still says today you could tackle better than any of them. So, <laughs> um he wasn't phased. He knew I could handle myself, but I think that it taught me to have thick skin and not worry about what other people think you were selected for that, um, teams and you kept getting selected in that year, but the
0: following year you, you weren't selected. What happened there and how devastating was that for you at such a young age?
1: Yeah. So under 11s, I actually, so made the Met West team and I got, you know, player of the match and I got awards. Awesome. So was playing quite well, what I thought. And then Um, come to under-12s, made the Ipswich team, tried out for Met West and didn't make it. And um, there was a comment surrounding the no selection and it was, because I'm a girl, I'm not going to go any further. And there was no need to pick me. They wanted to give a boy the opportunity to play because he could go on to further and play in the NRL. Because at that stage, you were getting into the
0: age where you had to quit.
1: Yeah, so I had to quit at 12. And it was kind of scary. Like, imagine going now to your last game at 12 and just being like, you can't play rugby league again after this game. And you love it. This is your love. Yeah.
0: When you, going back to that under-11s team, when you were playing for Met West, you were playing against some big NRL stars, weren't you, back then?
1: Yeah. Uh, Daly, Cherry Evans, Jorale. Chrissy Chrissy Sandow. Yeah. Yeah. So all these boys were at that exact carnival and it. I only realised that a couple of years ago when I had to get the program out. Like I still cannot <laughs> believe that I was playing against guys like, yeah, daily is just... Yeah, crazy, and I I do want to have the conversation. And be like, do you remember a girl or yeah. or what was the thinking? Because
0: they what would just be think? like all the boys, but you would yeah. have stood out. But Jarrell Yee works at the Broncos. He's in Brisbane. Have you talked to him about it? Or DC in you know Origin Queensland team. Have you ever? Yeah, I haven't.
1: I haven't had the conversation with them. I'd even like to speak to their parents or and just know, hey, what was just to get some, you know, because you through rugby league or through any sport, you have those missing moments and I'd love to know what other people thought. You know, there there was supporters of me playing, but I also know there was a fair few people that didn't support it.
0: Um, That's so, I would love to know from them because you would have stood out for sure. But everything that you experienced, you know, pushing through those barriers as a little kid and up until 12 years old in in rugby league, when you reflect on that, like how, is, how has that shaped that that experience shaped your opinions and um, now, and I guess your role as a female athlete ambassador? Like, how has that experience shaped your opinions and your mindset now?
1: Yeah, well, that's why I think I'm so passionate, but so strong minded about opinions, and <laughs> I do everything. For others, but I also do it because I want to prove people wrong and I want to show people every single day of my life that those people that doubted me at that age that I'm here and I'm doing it. And and that's something that drives me every single day and it's probably taught me resilience, but I do still believe that girls can play with boys at a young age. I think you learn so much from being in that culture. There was negative things, don't get me wrong, but there was also a lot of positive things. I have a lot of good mates from there and you learn how to tackle, you learn how to, you know, play competitively um, alongside those boys. I don't believe we're matured at a very young age that it's still safe to play a mixed gender at a young age. You played touch football, but did you still go out to rugby league games and still feel that love?
0: Was there a a pang of hurt? you couldn't, you had to stay on
1: the sideline. You couldn't lace up the boots and get out there. It was probably just jealousy because there was trips that I used to go on. So we used to go to Maitland on a trip and all my mates would be going off to that trip and I'd be stuck at home or I'd still be out supporting my brother but it was those times where I was like, that used to be me. And um, I, I think I just thought that touch football would take me to a professional level. So how far did you get in touch football then? How far did you go? Yeah, so I got to represent my country in Trans-Tasmans with a few people, uh, a few stars. So um, I am forever grateful to touch football. I truly believe anyone that's ever played touch football and gone on to play another sport can thank touch football for the skills and the vision that we have on on the rugby league field. If you were playing touch football at that high level, Um,
0: around that time I'm assuming and I'm thinking that would have been when Rugby Sevens was announced that it's going to be an Olympic sport and a lot of poaching was happening from touch football to start the Australian Rugby Sevens side and squad. Were you ever approached, seeing as you were in the Australian team, were you ever approached to, to join Rugby Sevens?
1: Yeah, so it must have been after a trans-Tasman. I probably had played league for one to two years Mm -hmm. and then was approached by Rugby Sevens to have a sit-down and um, they spoke to me about kicking. They needed a kicker, so they flew me to Sydney just to see if I enjoyed it and um, it wasn't for me. I love home and I just didn't really understand the game whereas I feel like I have such an understanding of rugby league that... um, yeah, it wasn't enough to move away from home and, and start again. And I've always been that person that I like being close to home because all my family (laughs) to come and watch. And, and that's something that um, I'm really driven by is having, it's not just mum and dad on the sideline. It's every uncle, every cousin Mm. still today, every auntie, they're always there. And um, that's probably what's kept me going. Because that
0: program, you had to be based in Sydney, didn't you, in order to to join that program? Yeah. Yeah. But the, the lure of the Olympics, was that ever a dream for you? And then when, you know, you got approached by Rugby Sevens,
1: like how much of a pull was that? Uh, the Olympics is definitely tempting, uh, but just the thought of I still had touch football, still playing Touch football. I'd just gone into league. I was playing from a state. And there was a few there was an Australian team going to New Zealand. So I still had things going on. Um, but the Olympics wasn't much.
0: We hinted there that rugby league had come back into your life around the same time as the Rugby Sevens opportunity
1: arose. How did rugby
0: league come back into your life?
1: I got a phone call from a guy called Rob Bruff. He reads hmm. the news for Channel Seven and has done a fair few things. Um, so I played touch with his son and he just called me and said, have you ever thought of playing rugby league? And I was like, well, I used to play. Um, and he said, do you want to play on Saturday?
2: You got (laughs) training on
1: Wednesday and it was, it might've been like Monday. I was like, yep. So that's just where it started. And how old were you? Um, 18. 18. So lucky enough, the, I was playing with Cara Murphy Renee Kunst, yeah. Nat Dwyer, like I pretty wow, much walked into legend. the Australian team. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I was pretty lucky there and he was the coach and went out. I didn't play great in my first game, I will admit, but um, yeah, that's where it all started. It started back up again. What year was that? 2009. Right. So they just had the 2008 World Cup on the Sunshine Coast. Yep. And they got beaten really badly from the Kiwis. So he wanted to put together some touches within that um, South team and, yeah, then I started 5'8 alongside Karen Murphy. How soon before you were playing with the Gillaroos It was that year, so <laughs> 2009. I got uh, selected for nationals, went on to play for Queensland mm-hmm. and then straight into a test match on the back of that.
0: You were in a really rare position where you've kind of seen both sides of the boom of women's rugby league because in 2009 it certainly was nowhere near where it was where it is today when you reflect on those early days that you were in that Australian setup and you were playing women's rugby league is there something that stands out to you that you'd look back on and just go oh my gosh I can't believe that happened or we had to deal with that or
1: that was what we went through uh, probably the field in New Zealand when we we're playing just off the street lights was probably a big eye opener we're going out to play for our country and there's a street light on either end of one side of the field mm-hmm. and the other side was just dark <laughs> so that was probably a moment where I was like ah oh, no one takes us seriously like we've got an Australian jersey on we actually had a jersey and it didn't have the coat of arms on it no one took us seriously. They just thought we were out there pretty much just to, I they know, take people's heads off, pull hair, like all these ridiculous things and we'd been training hard for it and we were skillful and just people didn't take us seriously.
0: The coat of arms thing was a big deal because, am I right, that you guys weren't allowed to have the coat of arms on your uniform?
1: Yeah, it was non-existent until... Uh, We realized that it was worth more than that and we should be respected and things should be changed and, yeah, that ended up getting changed. I can't remember who it exactly was but they came to present our jerseys and they pulled it out, looked at it and then threw it back in the box and said, I'm not presenting these jerseys because there is no coat of arms on it and it was from that day on that we started to be taken more seriously and things started to happen. 2013 and winning the World Cup over in England was a pretty pivotal year,
0: wasn't it? And pivotal moment for your movement or for, for women's rugby league in general, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was the the start of something special. When Graham Murray took the team on alongside Paul Dyer and um, those guys, Mick Hancock, they started to take us seriously. We'd go to training and it would be, we are running you into the ground. You are here for a reason and we're going to get you to win that World Cup. So once they came on board and, you know, Graham Murray to even take that team on, it was a gamble, but he took the the chance with us and Um, I don't think we ever let him down. He told us a million stories, but it was just that someone finally took us seriously and wanted to show us, didn't treat us any differently, treated us exactly like he would a men's team. And then it's from that we got confidence. And then to see Murph hold up that trophy and have tears in her eyes and that moment, I truly believe that was the moment that changed the whole women's game forever.
0: Another big moment was that first State of Origin. I actually hate, and I think maybe you would too, saying the first State of Origin because the Women's State of Origin went on for, was it 16, 17 years before what people were calling the first State of Origin, but it was called the Interstate Challenge because it wasn't recognised under the State of Origin banner. And I always feel like I have to say that because it's, but that first time that it went under the State of Origin banner and it was a standalone game on live, on free-to-air TV At North Sydney Oval, the Oval was packed. Everyone had their eyes on the girls and was watching Friday Night Football and watching you girls play State of Origin. How big a moment was that? And what was it like for you running out onto that field
1: with that crowd? It was, it felt like. Every time I run out on the field, there's a different feeling, but there's one feeling that stays with me and it's like I'm running out and there's Karen Murphy sitting on this shoulder. There's Nat Dwyer <laughs> on the other shoulder and I'm like carrying all these girls out onto the field. It's like there's a reason that we're on that stadium playing in front of all those kids, all those fans, and it's because of what what they had done, but we were also creating history. And it's important, like you said, to tell that story that it was the interstate challenge and Queensland was so successful in that time. But it's because of them and making a movement of, it's not okay to be called an interstate challenge. We're to be taken seriously. That whether we ran out there and didn't get the win, it was just a momentous time for girls rugby league to have little boys, little girls run out onto the field. They didn't care that we were girls. They just loved the game that we just played. I love the little girls coming up to me and that, and that is the future. But having boys come up to us and want our signature and just acknowledge us for playing rugby league is the difference in the drive of having that it sounds funny because you want the the little girls, but they're going to come because they're following their idols. But these boys are idolizing us. I remember being that little girl idolizing Alan Langer, idolizing men. It's now changed and these little boys are idolizing us girls on that field. That's so powerful
0: because those little boys, they don't see a female athlete. They see an elite athlete, someone that they want to aspire to be, not necessarily someone that their sister or the girl next to them, they aspire to be like Ali Brighenshaw, And the way you described it then is just so powerful. When you saw the ratings from that game and saw, I laugh because I feel like in those early days, I've been pushing for rugby league for so long in my job in the media for women's rugby league. And I remember when it was finally on TV, being in an all-male newsroom and having all the blokes All those guys around me just going, oh, like looking at highlights of your game, just going, oh, look at this. Oh, they're so fast, they're so skillful. They were so, that was such an awesome game. They were getting so worked up and they were like, where's this been? I'm like, it's been there. You just haven't seen it. What did that tell you about how people see the women's game after that first one, Mm -hmm. seeing the ratings, seeing the reactions? What did that tell you about the women's Mm -hmm. game, which I guess you
1: knew all along? Well, they were enjoying it. I know that. They <laughs> loved watching it. But they also loved to see the talent. We weren't just bashing it up. We weren't just big forwards bashing it up. We were playing with skill, skill that we'd learned from other sports and brought it into our sport. And it's kind of like the time has passed where you say, wow, that girl's like very good and very talented, isn't she? It's like be amazed by a skill and talent, just appreciate it. And... Um, that's what's happening now is they don't go, oh, wow, look at that try. Like it, it's great to talk about it, but we are just as skillful as some of these men. And that's what, it's not a shock anymore. Yes, we do hit hard. Yes, we run hard. We all play the game the exact same way. You know, we don't train every single day for, you know, six or seven hours. No, we don't now but that time will come and you'll only see better and better athletes. But it's, let's not be surprised anymore. We are athletes and we play the game just the same as the men. What was your reaction when you first found out that
0: there was going to be an NRLW, like a professional women's league? And at that stage, you've seen cricket do it with the WBBL. You've seen AFL do it with the AFLW. And it was rugby league's turn with the NRLW. When you first found out, that was going to happen. What was your reaction?
1: Well, that was the crazy thing because we have like a working group that puts these ideas and they said, write down what you want to see in 10 years. And we're like, well, obviously we want to play NRL. Like that's the ultimate goal. And then we sent all our answers in and um, they got sent to um, the NRL. And a couple of weeks later, Yep, uh, we're having an NRLW, and these like teams have got to put in for it, and this is going to be it. And it was just kind of surreal. Like I don't know who ticked that box to say that they're going to have NRLW, but it just changed everyone's lives. It might not have changed them financially because we all we're semi professional, we all have jobs, but it changed that we were finally going to be taken seriously. And people are gonna be able to see it. So yes, we'd played for Australia and we'd played for Queensland. But we were gonna be on week in, week out, playing football on Channel 9, on Fox, in front of people's faces. And that was the best way to grow the game.
0: What was your dad's reaction? You know, he'd been a professional footballer. He'd seen his little girl play with the little with the boys, he'd seen be devastated when she was forced to stop playing rugby league. But when you told him, Dad, I'm going to be like you and I'm going to be a professional rugby league player, what was his reaction?
1: He's probably still can't believe it. <laughs> he probably just... He started to wear a lot of Broncos gear. I know that (laughs) for every Father's Day, every birthday, there's a Broncos hat or a Broncos shirt. Um, But he's never been big to go to games either. He doesn't go to the stadiums and watch the games. He loves to watch it at home, but... It really sunk in when he came to Suncorp and he watched me play and he's sitting there and he's got his Broncos hat on. He's a West (laughs) Tigers supporter but um, he was watching his little girl run out onto a stadium and that's something that they haven't really seen because I'd played a World Cup. I'd played games, uh, you know, I've played interstate challenges at Davies Park which is in a stadium but I was running out into this stadium and there's people in the crowd with signs (laughs) with my name on it like... (laughs) To him he probably just sat there going, This is just a surreal <laughs> moment. You know, for even when he played, the crowds were full, but it probably wasn't like watching his little girl run out. In and it still blows my mind that I run out onto the field, onto stadiums in a Broncos jersey. Like it still hasn't quite sunk in because I I just dreamt of being a little girl playing in a boys' team. So I was going to be that girl that runs out on SunCorp alongside, <laughs> you know, Darren Lock, like oh, yeah. alongside men. That was me. Yeah, I, yeah. They were going to change the rules, and someone was going to let me play. So you never thought a women's team would happen? But no, you're not thought, at I'm going to be there with the boys in the professional men's team. Definitely not, wow. 100%. I just thought he'd be able to write this letter and then someone would let you play with the men. <laughs> That's how I thought my NRL career would be. So Larry's a man of few words. He doesn't speak up
0: too much. He's pretty shy, but um, he sent us a memo and he had a few words to say and he's not so shy in this, alley. so let's take a listen.
2: Ali is an extremely determined young woman. And because of this quality, I knew she would see, succeed in football. Her strength and willingness to strive to be the best was pretty evident when she was nine years old. I remember on the footy field tackling absolute anybody. She didn't care what size they were. She went for it. I think a lot of boys on the field underestimated the train. That was Ally running towards them. She's continued to steam on ahead and pave the way in women's sport. My proudest moment would be seeing... Her first Broncos NRL premiership win. It was a moment where all of her hard work and sacrifices had finally paid off. I'm forever impressed with her dedication to the sport and her own skill development. But she can't take all the credit for her stepping ability. She had plenty of practice trying to outrun me when she was in trouble as a kid. See you soon, Al.
1: Never seen your emotional, Ally. I'm a big softie, most people will tell you that. <laughs> most people just don't see it. Why does that make you so emotional? Cuz it's kind of like um I know if I played good or bad, but um dad's just someone that doesn't I don't know. He he's he's always kind of lost for words. Like I'll just be able to tell when he looks at me whether I've played good or bad. <laughs> and if I've played bad, it'll be, um, oh, you you missed this tackle. Even though I've scored three tries, you missed that one tackle. It's He'll just tell you straight to the point, but it's hard to get a – even for a game, he'll be like, all right, good luck, Al. That's the <laughs> kind of text message I'll get. I'll get a phone call and he'll just keep calling. I'll tell him, you know, Dad – Um, we've got to go for a team walk or we've got a team lunch and he'll continually still try calling me just to tell me he'll always have the same messages, tackle hard, you know, kick to space. Like it's the same messages but you just know when you look at your dad whether you've had a good game or a bad Mm. game.
0: We've talked about, you know, the old times and that it was a really quick escalation of the Women's League and the attraction that it got, the attention that it got. Were you prepared for such interest and the limelight being on you, being a marquee player, being the captain of the Broncos, being captain of the jewellery? like, were you prepared for the limelight with that? Uh,
1: Not really, but I felt it was my job um, to do the best that I could every single day. If it was a training, I was going to. Like I said, it was people are on my back and I'm carrying them along the way and I'm doing those things for not only the past players, but to see the little girls that want to be like me. So I'm always about setting a good example. Uh, you won't find me ever partying too much or or doing any of the outside of football things. Um, I'm, I take it quite seriously in making sure girls can look up to a good role model and making sure that They're achieving everything they want to achieve, not letting anyone stop them. So um, the limelight's kind of crazy. And I go back to this time when I was at Coles just in my (laughs) local and I was just standing just out the front of Coles and this little person was like yelling my name and I was like, oh, that's weird. And then they come up and just pulled my shirt and kept like pulling the back Mm. of my shirt and I thought, Oh, like it must be a cu- like my nephew or <laughs> <Cousin>. <laughs> like someone seen me here. And then um, it was this little boy and he was four years old. He goes, I watch you on the TV. Aww. You're my favorite player and I want to be like you. And I was just like, I'm at my local. This kid's <laughs> four years old. He's just run up to me. He knows my name. He knows wow. my position. He wants to be me when he grows up. And sometimes I just... I get home and I'm like, what life am I even living in? I'm this girl from Ipswich. i played rugby league. I'm now going to play for my country, Mm -hmm. play for the Broncos, and I have little boys wanting to be (laughs) Ali Brigantel when they grow up. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, I can't explain it.
0: An interesting side to that was that in 2018, You're Broncos, you're the captain of the Broncos, you win the inaugural NRLW Premiership. A huge moment, huge, huge moment. Pack stadium, you're the captain. After the game, you went up into the stands and kissed your wife, who was then your girlfriend, Kate. That photograph ended up on the front page of the Courier Mail and it was incredibly difficult for Kate she hadn't come out to her family at that stage. So she had that taken away from her, ripped away from her and being publicly outed that way is not how you guys intended or she intended to tell her family. Why was that incredibly difficult for Kate? And how then did you feel being that person that has so quickly become into the limelight
1: and then your significant other has now been brought into your world I think it was the repercussions of it. So, you know, that was a moment that I'll never forget and we have a photo of that. It's a beautiful photograph. Yeah, it's like (laughs) an amazing moment. I will never forget one of the best moments in my life. But um, before we go on to why it affected Kate, as soon as I walked from the field into the dressing rooms, it was all over social media. So instead of everyone talking about we just won a premiership, people are coming up to me. You know, there's a photo of you kissing Kate and it's all over Facebook, all over Instagram. The articles, people were just writing about the kiss and I was like, we've just won the first ever premiership. So that was hard to take for me because I'm never someone that wants it to be about me and it soon quickly turned and instead of us holding the trophy up, it was a photo of me and Kate. Um, But my teammates were so supportive. It was just kind of hard to see because I didn't want it to come across as selfish or anything like that. I was just being myself. Um,
0: Had the sporting world not seen that from
1: professional athletes? What made that so significant? No, I think it was they hadn't seen it. They didn't expect me to go up and kiss a girl, I guess. Uh, People knew that I had been in a gay relationship, but I don't think it was... I thought they saw their way to expose, um, you know, women's rugby league to kind of portray it, I guess. Some people loved it and some people hated it, so it brought the media attention. But um, another reason to, I don't care what others think, and there's a lot of girls out there like me that, you know, may be too shy to show their affection and I want others within the game or in normal life, normal everyday life, to show their, their partner or whoever it is that they love. And they're the people that go through life with you. They're the people that see you in tears over injuries and sacrifices that you make and the hard um, trainings you go through. So um, it's every everyone should be going up and kissing their partner or a significant other. It shouldn't matter of their sex. But um, surrounding Kate, it was obviously we were dating and then This photos plastered all over social media and the negative comments surrounding it and the way people were talking about me putting me down or just, just the whole comments that came surrounding it and, you know, to have it published in the paper and having, you know, Kate's family see the photo and, and all of that. It was, it was a big moment, but, um, we all got through it and it's still on the fridge today. So Is it that photo? Um, yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a pretty special moment for me and Kate. So um I wouldn't change it for anything. I I wish it wasn't published the way it was. I I'm was happy for a photo to be taken, but I wish we could have posted it on our own end. But um lots of girls reach out to me after that. Young girls, especially teenagers or young adults just saying, you've given me the confidence now to show my partner that I love them and um, not be ashamed to hold their hand in public. So for me, that put a smile on my face and I can see young girls today just being themselves. I I think when you go walk down the street, um, it'd be very rare not to see a gay couple walking, holding hands or showing affection. So the world's definitely changed and um, yeah, it just shouldn't matter who you love. Are we better in sport today if that if you kiss Kate
0: now in the stands in 2021 would it have received that
1: same reaction? Definitely not. Um, I oh after every game I go over and kiss her in the stands. So <laughs> um, it's funny how it's not making the media anymore. But um, and I um, to all my teammates if they ever have a partner in the stands or. Um, I never say steer away from that. You always thank the person and appreciate that person that's seen you go through all of that. So, um, the game is so supportive. You know, every I've never had a negative comment from anyone in any team, whether it's Jillaroos. The Jillaroos family is super supportive. We have our own little jokes, and um, it, it's great. It's I've never felt so comfortable within myself in playing rugby league, that it's given me the confidence to just show who I love. And I, I truly believe that has come from the game. Really? Yeah. I believe that the people I was surrounded with, the people that I grew up with playing, they have with this with us as a group, we've been able to show that we We don't care what people think. And you'll see that a lot of of girls are in gay relationships and are totally comfortable with it. 100% we've never had. The NRL have been supportive of it, Um, you know, having a float at Mardi Gras and things like that. So there's not, I do not see one little bit of shame within or any cultural problems within rugby league.
0: Standing up as a leader of this game, we talk about the escalation and the boom of the women's game, was it hard for some players with this rapid rise to see themselves as elite athletes, not just
1: as park footy players anymore? Yeah, that's how I want them to see themselves. Be appreciated for who you are. You know, you're not, once you've made it, once you've pulled on those jerseys, you are someone You don't go and do every appearance for free. And it's not about the money, but you are someone. You're putting your time and effort. You're taking days off work to help others because we all have that drive. We all want to help people. You know, my goal in life is to inspire young girls. If we just do that every single day, we wouldn't have a job, that's for sure because we'd be at every field trying to run every little training session for these girls, it's showing appreciation to them but also showing them how to stand up for themselves and know your worth and know that we're inspiring them when we take the field. But also if you want to put a picture up of one of these girls, you've got to appreciate it and show them the respect they deserve. So it's how I stand up and show the girls you know train hard dress the way you want to be seen as an elite athlete you know it doesn't mean dress in fancy clothes it means when we wear our gear we wear it appropriately we wear it so we we look professional you know we may not be professional now but we're setting an example for these young girls use your manners it's huge And sponsors, we go to sponsors luncheons and I say to the girls, no one is allowed to sit in the corner and not talk to anyone. You go up and you meet people. They're people that are supporting our game. You go up and be an adult, go and introduce yourselves. And that's how the game grows. And that's how people see that we mean business and we're here because we want to play the game. And without the sponsors, rugby league doesn't happen for girls. So that's like a big push to, and especially something that we do at the Broncos and the Gillaroos is we go and thank people. We go and meet people. We want people to know who we are. We may not have all the TV time in the world, but we meet people when we're not on the field.
0: Mm.
1: You're representatives all yep. the time. All the time. We've got a busy job. <laughs> <laughs> Saying that,
0: I hear players say all the time, oh, look, we're just grateful for being here, you know, grateful for this opportunity. And I guess, you know, being grateful is a great quality. But sometimes I feel like that's almost devaluing where we are with the women's game. Does the women's game need to take the next step now from being grateful
1: in its push for
0: equality? Where do you stand on that?
1: Yeah, I'm grateful that I'm healthy. I'm grateful that I have a wife at home and kids and I'm grateful for those sorts of things. But now I'm grateful that I found the game of rugby league. Don't get me wrong. Like without that phone call, I wouldn't have been playing rugby league. But it's about time where we are noticed. We are, you know, we don't want to play four games for NRLW. We want to play longer. We want to be on TV more. We deserve to be. We've shown these people. Each game we play, there's more viewers. There's more people in the stands. So it's time that everyone that plays rugby league, especially in the top group, um, in those NRLW teams, that no matter where you are, we're pushing people. We're pushing boundaries. Pushing for equal. You know, even if it comes down to the same uniform, we want to be respected If that team, if that men's teams were in that uniform, we want to wear a uniform that looks exactly alike, if a little bit different, but we, that's how you be treated equal. We don't want to be in the development clothes, you know, of the clothes that the under 16s and the other under 18s are wearing. We want to be in the same. One thing the Broncos have done really well is we wear the same colors, the same jersey. There's no pink on that jersey. We don't need pink to tell us that we're a girl team. We don't need a name in front of the state of origin saying women's state of origin. It's the state of origin. It's the test match. That's how it should be seen. And that's how every girl that plays the game should see themselves. I'm an athlete. I play rugby league. I train just as hard as them. It's no us and them. It's the game. If I could make you not only CEO for the
0: day, but I could give you all the controls for rugby league without any barriers whatsoever, you have the rugby league controls and you're allowed to do three things for the women's game. What would you do?
1: Firstly, I'd have a comp, a bigger comp. It doesn't need to be the same as the men. Um, I know the talent, and we know this, the talent isn't there to have as many teams as the men's. Um, Six seems to be a great number to begin with. So I'd have it going so the girls are earning um, a base rate where they can live without having to work full-time. That's my first thing. Could you imagine the athletes we would have if we train Monday to Friday and play regular footy for an NRW team. If we had the coaching, the coaches are great, but imagine if we had better coaches at every single level, better standards at every single level of what of what girls would, what the game would look like. I kind of want to build the relationship between the male players and the female players better. I don't know what that looks like, But when I go into training for the Broncos, I want to be able to, even if it's train alongside the men, you know, have opposed sessions against the men. Something along the lines where I know what they're doing, they know what we're doing. It's not two separate teams. It's not, oh, it's the women's season. Oh, the the men are over here and the men can't be in there because the women are in there. If we play for the Broncos, it's the Broncos. If we play for the Roosters, it's the Roosters. So somehow have them intertwined, I guess, Um, because I guess that doesn't happen too often. Um, What else would it be? Would you make Origin into three games instead of one? Yeah, that would just be a. The only reason it's not now is because we can't afford to take six weeks off work. We only get four annual weeks um, off work. So I don't know how that looks. But um, Origin is the toughest and the best game that we can produce. And each year you'll say, that was the best game. And then this year <laughs> you'll probably say, well, that was the best game. So each year it's getting better. And and I, I'm pretty sure there's a 19 comp this year, a 19 state of Origin. Um so that's even moving forward. One thing I'd like to see is having this is on my wish list have five younger girls attached to every NRLW team. So 5 18-year-olds so they're not in your cap of players. I think each team should have five or um however many we can fit in so they can mold off the older girls. And you might get one make their debut, you know, like Sam Walker he was molded he was put into that system so if we can have you know 18 year old kids in that system you never know when their debut might be i think we need to blood them a little bit earlier Ipswich boys too Sam Walker yeah mm-hmm. yes he he's actually a freak of a talent but it's so so proud to say he's from Ipswich as well there's a few from Ipswich Luke Keary you fought your whole career since you were yeah. in under 10s, Allie. I know. I'm I'm 31 now. It's getting <laughs> exhausting. And I just hope that when I retire, the girls can just solely play rugby league. And that's why I fight so hard. And it's tiring. And there's a Zoom calls after Zoom call after Zoom call. There's chats going on about what next year looks like. You know, should there be three origins? That's a That's a question that gets asked every month. It gets tiring answering the same question. And one thing I've noticed is we can be powerful, but it's also so tiring. And yeah, like I said, when I retire, I hope the girls don't have to fight anymore. I hope there's long-term contracts so you're not living year by year by year wondering, am I at the Broncos this year? Oh, I might be at the Roosters next year. Let's put some stability in for these girls. It's a hard life. If you want to buy a house, it's hard because you've got to take time off work. So therefore, you know, when you go to buy that house, oh, what do you do? I play rugby league. Is that professional? Well, no, it's not. So it's tiring, but um, I know it's all going to be worth it. I know the game's going to come to a time where we're going to see professional athletes. I hope I'm still
2: there. Mm. Um, I
1: don't know how long I can play for, but um, the hope is there. I hope you're there too. But I know if
0: you're not, just like you did with the women that went before you, there'll be a little girl that will be carrying Ali Briginshaw on her shoulders when she runs out as well. And she won't forget the work that you have put in tirelessly and the fight that you have put in your whole entire career.
1: For her to do exactly that. That's what it's about. And it feels like it's an extra job. You go to work. I go to work Monday to Friday, but I feel like I have a job twenty four seven of being a good person, setting a good example and fighting for these these right movements in rugby league every single day. But we're getting there, and we're not going to say the word grateful because we're pushing boundaries and we're we're a force to be reckoned with. I think we're going to make big progress. Um this year, if not in the couple uh, the next couple of years, hopefully before I go.
0: And you've been rugby league
1: CEO for the day, but broadly,
0: you're the future that you want for those little girls. If you could be fearless and there's there's no boundaries here, there's no the shackles are off. If you could think about the
1: future that you want for little girls and women, what does that future look like? It just should be full time. Like, I know that's a step away, but I want these girls, I I just want them to be professional athletes so they don't have to worry about these jobs. It's hard holding a job. It's extremely hard trying to tell your boss that you're going to be away for eight weeks this year because you're going to go play rugby league. You know, so that puts stress and pressure on these girls. So I want to see full time, full time athletes have your own facilities. I want them to be recognised as rugby league athletes, or female rugby league athletes, rugby league athletes across any sport. That's my every single sport. It shouldn't be women. It's the sport. And the final question we
0: ask everyone is if you could go back and tell that 10-year-old Ali something, what would be the message that you give that? 10-year-old Ali is about to be very upset
1: that she's not going to be able to play rugby league much longer. I probably would have tried to get a few more girls to join the team with me. That's one <laughs> thing I probably would have done. Um, but I wish I did have an idol um, that I and a role model that I looked up to in Peter Green. And she was a lady who's sadly not with us anymore, but she was a female coach. So when I'm 11, I have a female coach and back then that was weird, that was strange. She coached rep teams, she coached at a private boys' school, rugby league. She was a force to be reckoned with and she was someone that stood up at all these schoolboy meetings. She was someone that was like she was me but I was on the field and she was in the office, she was in the room picking me and picking you know, within that group. You know, imagine if there was more of her, what it could have been like. There wouldn't have just been one Ally Briganshaw. There would have been others. So I think I was quite strong as a 10-year-old, to be honest. Um, but what I'd say to those parents and any parents today is don't ever point, don't ever judge a girl because they're playing a sport. Don't ever question what sport that girl's playing. They're playing because they love the sport. It doesn't matter if they're male or female. I love it. Ali Briggenshaw, what a
0: journey you have been on and how much better is rugby league and sport in Australia because of it? Thank you so much for the journey that you've been on. Thank you so much for the fight that you've endured. Thank you for sharing your story with On Her
1: Game. Thank you for having me. And it's so special to be able to tell my story. I hope young girls hear this and know how hard i used to fight and i still fight to this day and when i'm 50 or 60 i can be able to say i was fighting for that when you (laughs) were now you're a professional and i can sit back on my couch and watch um the the girls game and and see professionals come out of it see our stars born and all because of your hard work Hey, there's lots of people's hard work. It's true. I'm just it's one true. of many. It's so Yeah. Um, as a female, I think we're all powerful in some way. So whether you're presenting, whether you're playing, whether you're a coach, we're all powerful and we've all got a job to do until it changes.
0: On Her Game was presented by me, Sam Squires, producer, Lindsay Green, audio producer, Nikki Sitch, executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. This episode was created in partnership with Puma for the Fearless podcast series. To stay up to date with their incredible female sporting icons, follow at PumaAU on Instagram. And remember, stay fearless. Listener.